But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we come and all the worship that we've experienced thus far, Lord, just opening our hearts up and singing praises to your glorious name, Lord. You are worthy of our worship and our praise. So, Lord, now as we come to this time of opening up your word, Lord, let us worship by opening our hearts and our minds to hear your word, to receive your word, and obey your word. For it's in our obedience that we, we worship you. Lord, you are the God, Father of all good things. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. So, Lord, if you command it of us, then it is the best for us. Let us understand that. Let us heed that. Let us give in to that. Let us obey you and your word. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Today we're looking at verses 1 through 3 as we dive into this new study in 1 Corinthians. We kind of started last week with an introduction uh, back in Acts chapter 18, looking at Paul's establishment of the church in Corinth, and now we're diving into the book itself, the letter itself. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And if you do not, do not have your Bible with you, then I invite you to turn in the Pew Bible to page 895, page 895 in the Pew Bible. And if you do not have a Bible of your own, then I invite you to take that Pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and use that uh, daily. Read God's Word. So 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3. Uh, we're talking about, as we look into the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is really about living a countercultural life. The church is called to live counterculturally, uh, counter from the world around us. We're called to be different. Now, to live a countercultural life is it's tough, it's hard. We're trained from the very beginning not to live counterculturally, but we're trained to blend in. When you go to elementary school, even kindergarten, uh, you're picked on if you're different. And throughout school, kids are bullied if they're different. But yet, Scripture calls us Christians to be different, to be absolutely different from the rest of the world. While the rest of the world lives after the things of the world, Christians are to seek Christ and live as Christ lived. And so we are called to this countercultural living. So today, as we begin to, to look into 1 Corinthians, uh, I want us to see this that the church is called to be countercultural. That is, the church is called to be saints. The church is called to be countercultural, to live countercultural lives. Indeed, the church is called to be saints, a people set apart for God. As we get into this first letter of 1 Corinthians, uh, 
Paul is writing to address certain issues and certain questions that have arisen in this church. Now, we get introduced to that, those questions, right here in the very beginning of the letter. And so what we're going to see, we're going to see three questions that are raised. Three questions that are raised. Uh, questions having to do with today, authority, holiness, and unity. Authority, holiness, and unity. And then uh, Paul is kind of introducing that, and right here in these first three verses, we're going to see kind of a, a somewhat outline of the letter. Uh, he's already getting into kind of the issues that he's going to be discussing throughout the letter, uh, but those issues have to deal with authority, holiness, and unity. So we'll see these more in detail as we move through the letter. But today I hope that you begin to see the kind of cultural, countercultural life that we as Christians are called to live. Now last week we considered, again, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17, and where Paul established this church in Corinth. Uh, now remember, from our last week's discussion, Corinth is a large city, 200 to 600,000, somewhere along that line. Think about somewhere along the lines of New Orleans. Uh, that's about how big this ancient city was. It was diverse in population, as you can imagine. It was a commercial crossroads, and so you had people from all over the world who came to do business in Corinth. There was a large Jewish population there who came to do business in Corinth. There were people from uh, Rome. There were people from all over the uh, Greek world. There were people all over the world who came to Corinth to do business. And so it was very diverse population. And as Paul began to build the church in Corinth, uh, the church began to be, came, became to be a very diverse congregation. And so you have all of these elements feeding into this new established church. You have some who are, are dedicated Jews who have come to, to believe in Christ, and so they have the, the background of the Mosaic law, and they're very strict in their faith, and then you have these pagans on the other end. They know nothing about Christ. They know nothing about Jewish religion. They're just coming in as pagans, as reprobates, and they're coming into the church, and here you have all these people meeting together in the church, right? So it's a very diverse population, not, even, not just in Corinth, but in the church. And so as all of these diverse, diverse people groups are coming into the church, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be issues that are raised. So Paul is writing now, he's writing from uh, the city of Ephesus when he writes this letter. He's writing from the city of Ephesus. This is on his third missionary journey. Remember, he established a church on his second missionary journey. Now he's on his third missionary journey, and he's, uh, he's stationed in Ephesus, where he spent about three years in Ephesus ministering. And during this time, he's heard letters have come from Corinth saying, hey, we got some questions about some things. We're struggling with some things, and we need you to answer some questions. With those questions, he's also gotten some reports about this church, about what's going on. And so Paul is writing this letter to address their questions and to also address the problems that he is getting reported to him about the church. And so we're going to see this come out in our letter. Corinth, of all the churches in the New Testament, Corinth is probably one of the most dysfunctional churches of them all. But you know, with all of their issues, man, they're so much like our church today. 
the church in America in general. I mean, the same issues that Corinth is, was dealing with, we have to deal with on a daily basis. And so I hope this letter, well, I know this letter is going to speak to us, and, and it's going to talk to us as we go through it. But today, let's, let's look at this call to be saints. If you found your place there in 1 Corinthians, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So as we begin to, to look at this introduction, Paul's introduction into this letter, um, he begins to lay out the issues from the very beginning. And so the first question that begins to be raised and, and come forth here is the question of authority. The question of authority. And we see that in, in verse 1. Notice what it says there. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. You see, there's as we dig into the letter, you're going to see this more and more, but Paul's authority is being called into question. There's other people who have come into Corinth and they're starting to say, well, you don't really need to, oh, forget about Paul, follow me. Listen to me. Follow my way. Because Paul, he's just, he's a, no, he, he's not worth listening to. I, I've got the true story here. I've got the true information here. And so there's this conflict of authority that's coming in and people are calling into question Paul's authority. And so Paul has to establish his authority right off the bat. And so he, uh, he acknowledges that he is called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now this term apostle means to be a messenger. Just the general term apostle in the Greek uh, means to be a messenger. But in the early church, it had become to have a, a technical sense. It was a technical term within the church. And we, most all of us, know this. There is an apostle who comes maybe as a messenger from some other churches, but then there were the apostles, right? The apostles. And you had, first of all, the 12 apostles that Jesus called during his ministry. And we know Judas was a, he ended up, uh, he ended up you know, uh, giving up Jesus and ended up killing himself because of his, uh, his rejection of Jesus and turning Jesus into the authorities. But then Judas was replaced by Matthias in the first part of Acts. So there was the 12 apostles. And then later on in the book of Acts, Paul was called to be an apostle by Christ, the 13th apostle. And he is an apostle to the Gentiles. He has a specific mission to go and be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so some of the, the, the qualifications for being an apostle, one, you had to witness the resurrected Lord. You had to witness the resurrected Lord. And so the 12 apostles, all of them, including Matthias, 
They had walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, and they had witnessed him resurrected, a bodily resurrection after his resurrection, and they watched him ascend into heaven. Paul was called later. Paul was actually an enemy of the church. He hated the church. He was a good old Pharisee, right? He was raised to be a Pharisee. And, and he thought this cult, this, this Christianity stuff, it had to be done away with. That was not from God and it had to be crushed. And so he went after the church. And while he was out one day going after the church, he was on the road to Damascus to go and to pursue other Christians and to drag them back to Jerusalem to stand trial. He met Jesus. And the resurrected Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. He says, hey, Paul, i got a plan for you. You go to this town, you go on up to Damascus, and I'm going to send my Ananias, my, my disciple, and he's going to tell you what this is all about. And so God, Christ, called, a, called Paul to be an apostle, capital A, not little a. He was one of the apostles. Now, the charge of the apostles was to establish the early church. It was to establish the early church. And so they are speaking on behalf of God. They are messengers of God laying the foundation for the, other church, for the uh, early church. So he is called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. But then notice what else it says. By the will of God. By the will of God. This is not something Paul aspired to. This is not something that he set his goal to. In fact, you remember, he was, he was going the other direction. He didn't want anything to do with the church. But he was called by the will of God. This is God's will for his life, not him. It's nothing to do with him. It's all about God. This is God's will for him. And so God has called Paul, Paul to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the early church. And so the, all the apostles... They were to lay the foundation for the early church. And so what we have today, instead of apostles, because that was a, a limited office, after the 13 apostles died off, there are no more apostles. No more capital A apostles. There might be messengers that the church sends out, and maybe you've seen uh, some of these spiritual, uh, spiritual gifts analysis that list apostles down there, and that's kind of a missionary. Well, that's good and great and fine. But there's no capital A apostle. They died. There's no more who have seen the resurrected Jesus and who have called to, to lay the foundation of the church. But these apostles, these 13s, they were to lay the foundation of the church. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20 says this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and uh, the members of the household of God. He's talking about the church. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone. And so the apostles laid down the foundation for the New Testament church. It was the apostles and the prophets. So what do we get here? What do we get up from the apostles? What's the apostles to us? It's the New Testament. The apostles wrote the New Testament. It was either apostles or someone 
uh, directly connected to the apostles, like Luke. Luke was uh, kind of reporting what the apostles, the apostles witnessed as he traveled with Paul and as he traveled with other apostles. So you have in the New Testament the witness, the testimony of the apostles. And of course, the prophets, that's talking about the Old Testament. The, the prophets wrote the Old Testament. And so when we talk about the, the testimony of the prophets and apostles, what are we talking about? We're talking about this book right here. This book. And so when we talk about the authority of Paul as an apostle, we're talking about the authority of God's Word. You see, we as a church, we sit under the authority of God's Word, the testimony of the prophets and apostles. And so as we talk about this, as we think about Paul's uh, discussion here about authority, then we have to remember that the church is called to live under the authority of God's Word. The church is called to live under the authority of God's Word. So we have to, uh, that means that we, we listen to the Word. We heed the word. We obey the word. And we don't just pick and choose what we want to take out of the word. We have to listen to the whole word. You remember doing collages back in school? You remember doing those collages? You, you take a, your teacher, maybe art class would give you all of them magazines, and, and you'd kind of cut out little pictures here and cut out pictures there, and, and then you take them all and you you post them and, and glue them to another piece of paper and you make this humongous collage, right? You know, people like to do that with the Bible. People like to make Bible collages. A, a lot of us will do this. We'll, we'll kind of go through here. Oh, oh man, that's a good life verse right there. Let me cut that out. Put it on my collage. Oh, mm, man, that's kind of getting, that's stepping on my toes there. I don't, want, I don't want that, so I'm going to just leave that there. Oh, but this, hey, this is good. I'm going to cut that out. I'm going to put it on my collage. And we kind of make this Bible collage for ourselves. We kind of take what we want to take out of it, and, and we'll live by that. But then, you know, certain things that we don't really like to talk about, we'll just leave that out. We'll just throw that in the trash. You ever heard of the Thomas Jefferson Bible? That's what Thomas Jefferson did. He just kind of cut out what he liked, and he made his own Bible, and everything else he discarded. There's a lot of Christians that do that today. They cut out what they like, and they discard the rest. But let me tell you, we're not, we can't do that. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, this is his word to us, given to us through the prophets and apostles. And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we live under this authority. There's a lot of people out there who won't have authority over you. The government wants their authority. The politicians want authority over you. Uh, the academy wants authority over you. The media wants authority over you. The advertisement, uh, you know, all the advertisement out, they want authority over you. But our ultimate authority is this book, the Word of God. And whatever this word says, we need to give to. We need to follow it. This is our ultimate authority. The church's ultimate authority is the word of God. So as we start to go through the book of 1 Corinthians, and you start getting your toes stepped on, remember, 
This is your authority. Bend to the word of God. So the first, the first question raised then is about authority. Second is the question of holiness. Question of holiness. Now, as we talked about last week, Corinth was immersed in immorality. Lots of immorality in Corinth. So immorality was the norm. It was the norm. Much like today. I mean, let's, let's face it. Look at America. Immorality is the norm. You're, you're kind of uh, off step if you're not living in immorality. Moral. Moralism is kind of just out there. I mean, it's, to live moral life, you're just crazy. And some of, the, uh, some of the new Christians who are in the church there in Corinth, they're struggling, right? They're struggling to leave behind their immorality. There's even a sense within the church of antinomianism. Let's just live without a law, right? We're free in Christ. We can just do whatever we want to. So Paul has to address this issue in his letter. And so we begin to see that even in verse 2, the first half of verse 2 there. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now that word sanctified there, that word is actually a perfect passive participle. A perfect passive participle. Uh, it should really read, to the, a literal reading would be this, to those who have been sanctified. Who have been sanctified. You see, a perfect passive participle, being in the perfect tense, it means it, has, it, it, it was something that was accomplished in the past. We talked about this last Sunday night for y'all who were there. There is something that happened in the past, but has a current result. So it was completed in the past, but the result of that continues on. And so he says, those who have been sanctified, that is those who have been made holy. Those who have been made holy. Right? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8. Or by grace you have been saved. Or by grace you have been saved. It was something that took place in the past when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing, but it's a free gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. Well, now... Paul in 1 Corinthians says, you have been sanctified. You have been made holy. When we, dear Christian, when you trusted in Jesus Christ, on that day when you trusted in Jesus Christ and you gave your life to him, you were declared holy. You were declared sanctified. You were wrapped in the righteousness, the holiness of Jesus Christ. And in God's eyes, you are holy. You are holy. No matter you still sin, yeah, you still mess up, you still sin, you still stumble, you still fall, but nevertheless, in the view of God, you are holy. You have been set apart as a people of God. So you are holy. You have been made holy in Christ Jesus. But that's not where it stops. 
You can't just say, oh, well, I'm holy. I've been declared holy. Now I can just go on and live however I want to live. No, no, no. Look what he says there. To those who have been made holy in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Called to be saints. You see, you've already been declared holy, but in that, you're now called to be holy. You've been made holy, but now you're called to be holy. You're called to become what you've already been declared to be. You're called to be saints, to be holy in the Lord. In other words, what Paul is saying here, you've been declared holy, now you've got to live it out. Now you've got to make it a reality in your life now. So it's not enough to just say, oh, I'm holy, now let's just go on with life however I want to live it. No. That's not the point of your salvation. Jesus didn't save you to leave you in your deprived state. He saved you to sanctify you, to make you holy. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Paul says this to the church of Philippi, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, uh, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're to work out your You've been saved. You have been saved. But then you're to work out your salvation. You're to make it a reality outwardly in your life. And even this, he says, this is not you at work. This is God working in you. So what happens when we come to faith in Christ? The Holy Spirit moves in. We're declared justified. We're declared holy in the Lord when we come to faith. And the Holy Spirit, He moves into, uh, into our hearts. He moves into us. And He begins to work in us to make that a reality even now in this life. He begins to make us holy. He begins to weed out the sin. He begins to weed out our bad behavior, our immorality, and he begins to make us become more and more like Christ. So we're called to be holy, to make it a reality in our lives. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16 says this, but as he who called you is holy, as Christ who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So when we come to faith in Christ, that's not the end of it. But we're called to begin to, to take the form of Christ. We've been set apart as a people of Christ, as a people of God, now we're called to live that out in our lives, to become holy, to make that a, a, a point of our life as we strive to be like Christ. I remember in the Marine Corps, there was a, a guy, I'll, I'll call him a buddy of mine, we, we became good friends. Uh, at the first, he really got on my nerves. He really got on my nerves because he was an angry atheist. 
And, and he, as far as I know, he never came to faith, but uh, we did have a, a decent relationship before it was all over with. But this guy, he was an angry atheist. And what I mean by angry atheist, like if anybody mentioned anything about Christianity or religion of any kind, really, uh, I mean, he was on it. He wanted to attack. He wanted to argue. He wanted to get into it. And, and that's why I, at first I didn't really like him that much. I, I didn't like him much at all. He, he just got on your nerves because he was always on attack. Uh, later on, we came to an understanding, and I got to witness to him, and, and we got to be buddies about it, and, and he kind of left me alone. Uh, but he was an angry atheist. And I remember one time sitting there, and there was someone who was talking about their faith and all this stuff. And let's, I'll be honest, this guy who was uh, talking about his faith, he wasn't living it. He wasn't living it. He would, let me just say, he, he, would, he liked to go out and party, right? And he had a mouth like a, well, like a Marine, right? So he, he had a rough mouth on him. And so he was here, sitting here talking about, you know, Christianity, talking about going to church and all this stuff. And, of course, the angry atheist comes in and he attacks. And, you know, this was one thing that always stuck with me. His argument to this other professing believer was, you call yourself a Christian, but you're no different from me. You're no different from me. You go out and party more, harder than I do. Your life is more immoral than mine. That stuck with me. Dear Christian, we're called to be different. We're set apart by God to be saints. If the world looks at us and says, you're no different from me, there's a problem. There's a serious problem. Not that we're ever going to be perfect. No, 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 we're never going to be perfect. We should never thumb up our nose at anyone and say, mm, look at me. We're never going to be perfect. We're going to, be, we're going to have our falls. We're going to slip into sin. We're going to have our sin. We are going to do it. We need to confess that. We're going to need to, we need to tell people, hey, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm trying to live like, but I'm a sinner and I mess up. We need to be honest about that. But if the world looks at us and they see it no different in us than them, there's a problem. We're called to be holy, to be saints. The church is called to live holy lives before an unholy world. The church is called to live holy lives before an unholy world. The, church, the world should be able to look at us and say, there's something different about them. There's something different about that person. I want to know what it is. I want to know what it is. Because I think I might need some of that. Oh, that's the greatest testimony of all. When you have someone walk up and says, I don't know what it is, but you're different than everybody else here. I want to talk to you. That is an awesome compliment. We are called to live holy lives before an unholy world. So there's the question of authority, there's the question of holiness, and third, there's the question of unity. The question of unity. Strife is one of the consequences of the fall. 
it entered into the world like as soon as, the, as, soon as Adam and Eve fell, as soon as Adam partook of the fruit, uh, strife entered into the world. We see it right there in uh, Genesis chapter 3. As soon as sin came into the world, Adam and Eve are at one another's throat trying to pass the blame, pass the blame, pass the blame. Here's strife coming into the world. Then you have their two firstborn, uh, Cain and Abel. And, and what happens? Strife comes in and Cain kills Abel. So strife is part of the world since the fall, since sin came into the world. And the church is not immune to strife. The church is diverse. It's a diverse fellowship. Even in here, we, we've got a lot of different kind of backgrounds coming into this, this fellowship of believers. A lot of different backgrounds from a, a lot of different economic, you know, different stages in, in the economy. And, and so you have all of this diversity coming into one place. Uh, I don't know, just guesstimating here, about 130 of us in here, and, and there's 130 different opinions. So there's all of this coming in, and that's, the, that's where strife begins. But the church is not called to strife. The church is called to unity. The church is called to unity. And Paul makes that clear here. Look at verse 2 again. To the church of God that is in Corinth. The church of God that is in Corinth. Now, there's something that we need to realize here. In Corinth, there was no church building. There was no church building. Uh, they didn't have buildings like us then. I mean, this was uh, the early part of the uh, early uh, history of the church. They didn't have big, nice church buildings to come gather into. When Paul left the synagogue, they went over to Titus Justice's house, and they set up shop there across the road. And that was the first church. And so the church was in all of these little house groups, house churches, all throughout the town of Corinth. Now Paul stayed there for a while, a little over a year he stayed there doing ministry in Corinth. And so uh, thousands of believers came to faith during his stay there in Corinth. And they were just adding numbers to the church, you know, even after that. And so you have say a couple of thousand uh, church, a couple of thousand believers in Corinth, well, you can't fit more than about 20, 15 to 30, somewhere in out, medium 20, let's just say 20, 20 people in a household to sit comfortably and worship and study the Word together. And so you've got maybe about 100 churches throughout town, throughout the city of Corinth, 100 little house churches. But Paul makes a point to say, I'm not talking to the churches plural in Corinth I'm talking to the church no matter how many buildings you have across the city uh, you it's one church I'm talking to the unified church so he's talking to the unity in the local church unity within the local church so to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And so not only does he have in view here the unity of the local church, but he also has in view here the unity of the global church. The unity of the global church. We're all to be unified in Christ. Now we look at our town, and there's, what, I think, 12 Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches here in Morehouse Parish, somewhere around there, uh, in our association. Uh, there's other missionary Baptists. There's uh, 
couple of, of uh, uh, Methodist churches, Presbyterian. There's all of these different kind of churches here in this one town, in this one parish. And so we do kind of our own thing, but what do we see? We're to be unified in Christ. Yeah, we do our thing here, but we're to be unified. We're to work with everyone for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's one thing I'm, I'm happy to see in our association today. Is there more unity in our association today? And I think there's been a while. We have a lot of our churches working together, and we're not, we don't feel like a competition here working against each other, but we, we can celebrate with Benita Road for things God's doing up there and, and, and praise God for his work there and continue to do the work here. There has to be that kind of unity, but there's also got to be unity within the local church and our church. You know, the, the, the best thing Satan can do is to come in here and to begin to build strife within our church. To have little arguments over this thing and that thing, over wall paint, uh, paint on the walls, colors of carpet, all of these little things that really in the end doesn't really matter. We've got to stay focused. We've got a mission to take the gospel to the nations. And no matter, I don't care if we paint these walls purple, <laughs> as long as we stay on the mission, we've got to be unified. We've got to fight for unity within the church. We cannot allow strife to divide us, ever, ever. If we allow strife in to divide us, then we've lost the race. We're done. If the world looks in and sees strife within the church, they're like, why do I want to go to that? I can fight with my relatives at home. I don't need to come into the church to have uh, strife. We're called to be a unified body of believers. And dear friends, we've got to be unified. Let's not let little fusses and fights over this thing and that little thing cause division. The church is called to live in unity even in the midst of diversity. The church is called to live in unity even in the midst of diversity. In the local church, in the global church, we've got to work together for the cause of Christ to see His kingdom advanced. So the church is called to be countercultural. The church is called to be countercultural, and all of this is founded on the gospel. It's all because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul makes that clear in the third verse. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, a Paul is kind of making a, this is kind of the general opening in most letters in, in that day. But Paul is kind of taking two kind of greetings and putting them together. A Hellenistic greeting, which would normally start with greetings, right? Greetings, which means happiness to you. And then he's also crushing in here uh, the, the Hebrew kind of a, of a greeting. Peace to you. Shalom to you. But Paul, he doesn't just say greetings, happiness to you. He says grace to you. Grace, the grace of God. The grace by which you are saved. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he is summarizing here in this one verse. He's summarizing the gospel. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by God's grace you have brought in, into peace with God. You have the full peace of God. And it's by that grace and peace that we're able to do any of this. It's only by God's grace and, and coming into peace with God that we ever uh, can live under His authority. It's only by His grace that we can ever have holiness in our lives. It's only by His grace that we can have unity within the church. It's all of God's grace. Oh, friends, we've got to remember that. None of this is done in our own power. It's His power. It's by His grace that we've been saved and that we can live for Christ. By grace, we live countercultural lives. Dear Christian, let me ask you today, are you living counterculturally? Are you living under the authority of God's Word? Are you striving for holiness in your life? Are you seeking unity within the fellowship of believers? Perhaps some of you you need to repent today. Maybe uh, you haven't been doing it very well. Maybe there's, there's sin in your life and you need to just confess that to God. Then I want to invite you today, today, make sure you confess that before God and commit, commit to Him to, be, to live counterculturally. For others here, some of you, your life has not been fundamentally different from the rest of the world because you've never trusted in Jesus. You're, you're living in the world. You're chasing the world. You're following the way of the world and not the way of Jesus Christ. And today, I invite you to trust in Jesus, to know the saving grace that comes from Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing, but it's a free gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus Christ, or God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins and to be raised again so, so that you might be justified, so that you might be declared holy in His sight. You're not holy. You're never going to be holy on your own. You're a sinner. And you need the salvation that only God can provide. There's nothing that you can do to gain it, but just trust in Jesus. Put your faith and your hope in Him. And he will save you. And He will transform your life. He will make you different. He will make you shine. He will make you His witness. You will only trust in Him. Will you trust Him today? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the call that you have on our lives. We thank you that it is because you came and died for us that we can ever have any hope of holiness. Lord, we want to live a countercultural life. We want to stand out. We want people to see you living in us. So Lord, empower us by your grace to live under your authority, to be holy and strive for holiness and to keep unity within the fellowship of believers so that we might be a testimony to your grace in our lives. Oh Lord, if there's any today 
who've never trusted in Jesus. Lord, today, let their hearts be turned. Let them know you and trust you. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.